Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com's Matt Myers. We have a couple things to get to. Nick Castellanos is a Cincinnati Red. The Reds just made another move like five minutes before we walked into this room. Uh, the Cubs winter can maybe finally get started. They have some certainty about Chris Bryant. Mookie Betts might actually get traded. Like That feels like it might happen now. And by the way, Dusty Baker is the manager of the Houston Astros. I'm so excited to talk about that. Uh, the Reds signed Nick Castellanos. They just signed, I don't know if you saw this, Pedro Stroop to a one-year deal. Interesting. As reported by Ken Rosenthal. Um, the Reds really seem like they want to go for it. Somebody asked me on Twitter if I thought the 2020 Reds were reminiscent of the 2015 Padres. Uh, you might remember that team was the team that went out and got like, who was it? Justin Upton, Matt Kemp, Matt, uh, Craig, Craig Kimbrell, Kimbrell like uh, James right? Shields, I think was that year, all, the, all these guys, uh, and generated like huge buzz and excitement. And I think my answer to that was no, because at the time, I never thought the 2015 Padres were going to be any good because that infield was wretched and they weren't. I do think the Reds are going to be kind of good. Uh, I don't think they're clearly the best team in the Central. They might not even be the best team, but they are a competitive playoff team or a playoff contender, right? The, the, the pieces still feel a little bit you know, a little bit awkward. Yes. Um, I think we talked about Mustakas last week, uh, if memory serves. And if we didn't, well, then I guess memory doesn't we did. serve. We have um, figured out if he could play second base or not. Exactly. Um, there's still some awkward fits on the depth chart because, like, it's unclear, you know, exactly how good of um, a center fielder Akiyama's going to be, where the at-bat's going to be for some of the other guys on the roster, like, Jesse, Jesse Winker, he can kind of hit, but, like, he's not a really good defense. There's just, like, some weird pieces, not to mention Mustakas being a second baseman now. Freddy Galvez, who grades out really well and out above average at shortstop, but he can't really hit. And then, of course, there's Eugenio Suarez, supposed to be their third baseman. And then this week, he mysteriously hurt his shoulder in a swimming pool accident. Mysterious is a good way to put it. It's just, like, he was swimming, and now he's hurt. Like, I don't want to, you know make any insinuations we don't know anything about, but this feels a lot like UNSS, but it's with the board everything. He's supposed to be back early in the season. I mean, the, the, the timeline was kind of vague. Shoulder injuries are rough for power hitters. That, that is worrisome. I can't remember, was it right or left shoulder? Uh, right, I believe. Okay. Yeah, um, right. It was definitely right. So, I mean, that there was a wrinkle. Thing. It was like, there was all this like, excitement on Castellanos news conference. And then like two hours later, it was like, oh yeah, Suarez is out. Two, it was, it like, was legitimate. Like, you just can't have nice things. It's unfair. <laughs> uh, so Castellanos signs for four years. And sixty-four million, which I believe is exactly the same as Mustaka's got, yeah. except Castellanos gets a very interesting structure. Uh, I think a ton of it's deferred, but also an opt-out after the first year and another opt-out after the second year, which is like the most player-friendly contract I think I've ever heard of. And it's, I mean, after Marcelo Zuno, who was kind of his comp on the market, uh, accepted a one-year deal for eighteen million from. Uh, the Braves, this is, I think, actually, like, this worked out pretty well for uh, Castellanos comparatively because, like, it, you could easily, like, it's not hard to say, hey, I would rather have Azuna than Castellanos. Like, you could make that argument, I would rather yeah, have Castellanos. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I used to feel that way, and now I'm pretty out on Azuna. But it's still, like, it's not like it's not like a crazy stance to have. Granted, Azuna came with draft pick compensation uh, with the qualifying offer, so, like, there was a little bit of an associated secondary cost, so... You know, there was there was a good reason to sort of value Castellanos higher, but the fact that he was able to get a four-year deal with those two opt-outs, not bad for him. I mean, it's it's like a no-lose situation. If he has a really good year this year, then he's on the market next year. And if not, he's got three guaranteed years. And if he stays and has another really good year the next year, he can do whatever he wants. Like, there's almost no way for this to end poorly for him. One of the reasons I like Castellanos over Ozuna is 
well, I think Ozuna has the higher ceiling if everything goes right. I have no idea what to make of Ozuna, and I actively don't think he can play the, the field. Um, Castellanos has been generally consistent. If you look at weighted runs created plus over the last four years, he was a, a 119 in 2016, where 100 is league average, so like 20% better than average, and then a 111 and a 130 and a 121. So he's like 20% above average. Probably, you know, not not probably, definitely not a good outfielder, but probably not as bad, I think, as the, the metrics would have you believe. Like, he improved last year. Uh, it was decent with the Cubs. Like, I think he'll be okay. You, I mean, Mike, you wrote that he's been improving. There's yes. actually maybe reason to believe that, like, he, he, given his lack of innings in the outfield, he might be able to turn himself into, like, uh, like maybe average. Ad- adequate. adequate. I'll, I'll take – he didn't kill the Cubs. Yeah. They had him for two months, so he didn't kill the Cubs. And – the Reds do have too many outfielders. Here's here's a list of Cincinnati Reds outfielders. Uh, I believe they have 10 on the 40-man roster, but here's the guys who are going to get some playing time. Castellanos, Jesse Winker, Shogo Akiyama, Nick Senzel, uh, Aristides Aquino, uh, Philip Irvin, and somewhere in there, Michael Lorenzen, who's like a hybrid pitcher type. And that's a lot of outfielders and a lot of talent. But I would also argue, aside from Castellanos, not a single one of those guys has ever had a single full productive healthy major league season. Zero. You know, and like, I like Akiyama. I think he's going to be fine, but none of these guys have done it for a whole year before. Like, these problems always work themselves out. It's, in Akiyama's case, to be clear, in the major leagues before. Well, yes, yes no sure. Japan, exactly. Like, we don't know exactly how his skill set's going to translate. Right. Some some players come from Japan and, you know, hit the ground running. Others just, like, for whatever reason, pitchers are able to exploit them. You know, the, the ball's a little bit different, whatever. Like, it's just not, it's not exactly the same. So, um, it's going to be an interesting challenge uh, for their manager, David Bell, to kind of figure it out. You know, there was the the question of like, okay, well now, um, Suarez is hurt. I guess Mustakas will play third base in the interim. There's been they're saying that Nick Senzel, who was originally drafted, I think, as a third baseman, will not be playing. All right, let's let's just... let's galaxy brain this right here. Senzel uh, coming off shoulder surgery, he's not going to play third base. The Reds have said that. Mustakas probably will, but you, they could say, you know, he's going to be our second baseman. We need to get him all the time. We need there. Who else on our roster has played a considerable amount of third base in the major leagues? Nick Castellanos. <laughs> um, terribly, obviously. That's why he's not a third baseman anymore. Uh, and that's not probably very likely uh, to happen. So I do want to talk a little bit about Castellanos because, you know, he went from Detroit and he did not have very nice things to say about Comerica Park on the way out the door. And he went to Wrigley and he mashed. And I've seen a lot of people on Twitter saying, wow, he's going to Great American. He's going to hit 75 home runs. Um, I feel like every time, you know, a park change comes up, it never really plays out that way in theory, right? Didn't we spend half the winter last year talking about how uh, JT or Almuto would get out of Miami and go to Philly and mash and didn't like actually do that? Yeah, it, I mean, I think it really depends on the hitter and where they're going. If the, I think to me, it's always about like whether or not the parking question plays well for the type of hitter that that person is. Like the extreme example I always think of is like, when Curtis Granderson went to the Yankees and was like, oh, yeah, I can actually just, like, pull right. fly balls. Dita Gregorius. And, and I'm going to become, like, a 40-home run hitter. And, like, that 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 happened. But just, like, hey, I'm a hitter going from a hitter's park to a pitcher's park. Like, it really only depends if that park accentuates the right. hitter that you are. And, actually, this is part of why I'm a little bit optimistic about Castellanos yeah, the, in, in, in Cincinnati. The Granderson example is a perfect one. I always go to the other extreme. Uh, Giancarlo Stett and hit 59 homers in Miami, and they went to the Yankees, and he's still not hit 59 home runs as the Yankees. Well, because he doesn't hit balls to right, he doesn't right. hit balls to right field. Aaron Judge does hit balls to right field, so the park plays plays very well for him. So last year with the Tigers, he had, uh, and I'm using OPS because it's simple and easy here, and it gets the point across, uh, a 790 OPS, which is like fine, it's average-ish, uh, and 
And uh, I can't remember where I wrote the quotes down here, but he basically called it a joke. And then when he went to, uh, um, remember there's that article that claimed he had all this like data and spray charts that said, this is how much the park is hurting you. And then the article was couched and it here's why he doesn't like analytics. Mm-hmm. It was very weird. So he goes to the, uh, the Cubs has like a 1000 OPS. And when asked about it, he's like, Oh, it's Wrigley field. It's a great place to hit, but really every place is a great place to hit compared to where I just came from. And now he's going to Cincinnati. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And Matt thought that was interesting. So I dug into some data on it. And uh, there's a couple of things that I think are kind of cool. And I wrote a whole article about this, which you could find at MLB.com. The first thing is, Comerica didn't really hurt him as much as he thinks this, it did. This, this is wild to me. The, the home road splits. Yeah. Um, in his Tigers career at home, he hit 286, 338, 469. That's an 807 OPS. Okay. On the road, he hit 262. So that's about 20 points less. Uh, a 310 on base, 28 points less. A 450 slugging, which is about 20 points lower. And a 760 OPS, a 47 point difference. He's probably thinking of some very specific deep drives to center field, which are absolutely true. Um, but on the whole, Comerica is not a bad place to hit. We went through this in great detail two years ago. Like my theory is it's a great hitter's eye. Uh, he hit better at home than on the road. It's not all Comerica. Like, it's just not. And then he went to Wrigley Field and he crushed. But it's not like Wrigley, unless the wind's blowing out, is like some hitter's paradise. I, I kind of got the impression just from reading a lot of articles about him uh, that he's the kind of guy who was – incredibly stoked to go from like dead last to a pennant race and like that really fired him up which like great cool um and what's interesting about him as well is he doesn't really have like when you're trying to consider what he might do in other ballparks he's not like a joey gallo like home run swing kind of guy if you look at the last three seasons uh he is the fourth highest line drive rate like that's what he does he sprays line drives all around the park and the 152nd fly, highest fly ball and pop-up rate like there's a limit to him trying to backspin things uh, out of the park. So I tried to figure out what would happen if he played all of his games in Cincinnati last year. Um, And what we did was we looked at all the balls he hit at least 300 feet. That would have been a home run in at least one park. And we were looking, uh, you know, at the the 3d tracking technology from Statcast here. So there were 25 of those, uh, 11 in Detroit, 14 in Wrigley. The actual outcomes were nine homers, seven doubles and seven outs. Now, Matt, if all 25 of those were hitting Great American, uh, how many of those do you think would have been home runs? About half. About half? <coughs> uh, 15. So that's a gain of plus six. And that sounds really good. And I, I think it's pretty good. Uh, there's a catch, though, because there's always a catch. So of those six, you might think all six of those balls came from Detroit. It's not true. Only four did. Two of them actually came in Wrigley, right? It's, it's not about Comerica. Um, can you guess what the catch is here? What is the catch? I cannot guess it. Uh, well, there's two catches. One is we're not adjusting for like elevation or anything. It's hot Cincinnati summers, all that. That's fine. I'll allow it. Uh, but it also, you can't just assume that what he did in those last two months with the Cubs is just who he is now because he'd be one of the, like the eight best hitters in baseball. Uh, and I don't think he's one of the eight best hitters in baseball. We have expected weighted on base, which is all about the point of contact. It's quality of contact and amount of contact. Uh, it's attempting to take away the effects of fielding and defense. With the Tigers, he had a 336 weighted on base. That was 127th best. With the Cubs, he had a 418 weighted, expected weighted on base. That was fifth best. It's not about the ballpark. He just crushed the ball. His hard hit rate went up. And he's had hard streaks like this. Yes, he's, he's had, a streaky guy. Yeah. So, I mean, I, the reason why I actually, you know, I'll admit I will, I'm going about to, to, to veer off into some of the anecdotal here. So, yes, you please. Know, um, but Great American... You know, we can look at righty park effects at Great American and the park like 
the thing about Castellanos is he has a lot of power to center and right center field. I think that's where a lot of the frustrations with Comerica come from is, you know, uh, we've talked about on this podcast and our Mike's written about a lot. It's like, you will see like regularly these balls with like a 900 expected weight on base or an expected batting average yeah. get like swallowed up in dead center field or dead right in right center field of Comerica that went like 420 feet. Like it's like literally like the longest part in any ballpark in any in in baseball that's 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 in in fair territory he has and i don't have it in front of me an incredibly high rate of barrels that have not turned into home runs so i think that and whereas <laughs> great american like right center field right field is generally a pretty forgiving is a pretty forgiving ballpark so like when you look at righty park factors at great american it's not necessarily counting for like a lot of right handers or pull hitters who are, have a different kind of profile than he does so i think i actually think he's an example where the park might actually be specifically situated to play to his strengths. The one thing we can't really account for is whether he changes his approach in a different park. You know, maybe maybe you're in uh, Detroit and you're like, well, I can't hit it out to dead center. So I'm just not going to try to. I think there's a little bit of that in Christian Yelich when he was in Miami, you know, playing in that park and he changed it. But it's really, really difficult to quantify. Um, so for all this, Castellano makes the Reds better by like t- two wins, maybe? I think they, so. they had a lot of outfielders. It's not like they were like filling a giant hole here. But he might, and I think you mentioned this to me. We we're talking about the the uh, the move uh, offline was how against lefties he could possibly slot it at first base. I forgot about that. Yeah. Joey Votto can't hit lefties yeah. anymore. So, I mean, David Bell has a lot of pieces that with a twenty six man roster. It's a, this is a, this team is a very interesting managerial challenge, and I think that this is a, a team where like you could see a swing of a couple wins in either direction based on how they optimize the lineups, how willing, you know, like that's tough to tell a player of Joey Votto's stature, like, Hey, we're going to start having, I know, I know you like facing Clayton Kershaw, but sorry, we're benching you against Clayton Kershaw. Like that's a tough thing that, you know, that's like the, the, the part of the game that's like really hard to kind of for us to analyze and for any outsider to analyze, like how you kind of manage that aspect of it. And, but given like, the lefty righty aspects of this roster, um, it's there's opportunity to sort of like find some 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 sort of like hidden edges if if played correctly. I know this isn't entirely apples to apples because these are human beings who get to make their own choices and everything. Um, but given the Reds roster, four for sixty four with two opt outs to Castellanos, or four for seventy three with no opt outs to Osmani Grandal. Well, that's <laughs> that's. I mean, like obviously we can play the, exactly. Hindsight 2020, yes. I think if, if you could go go back, at least, I mean, and, you know, we don't know um, exactly, you know, for me, if you're a win-now team and you need a catcher, yes. I think in retrospect, the Reds really should have been on ground now. And may, may, no, I, I think they were, but yeah, maybe just not, like, enough. Not, not to that, not to that uh, level. Um, yes, I think that, that in retrospect, that probably would have been the ideal thing. Because the Reds, I mean, it's kind of weird, but – they're kind of as much of a win. Weirdly, they're kind of as much of a win now team as there is because out there. Their core isn't that young. Like no. Sen- Senzel is sure, um, but if like, Vado's not, Suarez is not that young. I mean, and there's also a world where like Senzel ends up being a bench player this year. Like if yeah. if he doesn't, if he, I mean, he's he hasn't really emerged yet, and it's not hard to envision a situation where like the regular outfield ends up being Akiyama, uh, Aquino, and. Castellanos. Aquino, and he's kind of like, and he's kind of the odd man out. Aquino might also be back in Louisville. <laughs> exactly. It's, you, you don't know. There's they're going to be, they're going to be fun. They're going to be fun. There's the, the top end of the rotation is really interesting. Trevor Bauer was not very good for the no. Reds. He was not very good 
period last season. That's the biggest wild card. Is is he like the guy who we thought was a Cy Young the year before? The guy who was almost unpitchable like down the stretch last year. But you know they have Gray and and um, Castillo, Castillo, Di so, Okay. So we we don't really know. But what the team that actually might be the best team in that division, despite all the question marks about it, despite the fact that it hasn't done anything this offseason, is the Cubs. Is the I, can I can I ruin your segue? I want to I want to add one more Reds thing, just because I've been doing a lot of Reds research lately. Did you realize Lucas Sims was actually like really good? Yeah, as a reliever last year. Last year I had really no good. idea. Lucas Sims uh, was the twenty first first overall pick by the Braves back in twenty twelve. Uh, never really panned out. Became a reliever with the Reds last year, and I had no idea. 36% strikeout rate, 99th percentile in fastball spin and curveball spin. Lucas Sims, who knew? Anyway, the Cubs. Uh, the Cubs finally got some clarity on the Chris Bryant situation. Uh, I cannot understand why this grievance took like five years to work out, but unofficially, I guess it'll be reported later this week, he lost his grievance uh, about service time, so he will be with the Cubs, or he's under team control with the Cubs for two more seasons, this year and next year. Um, so... I, you know, all the talk about trading him, it was not possible to trade him really without a team knowing if you're getting him for one year or two years. And now the Cubs can actually think about doing that. Uh, he's owed $18.6 million for this year and then presumably more than that for his final year of arbitration. Do you think they will trade him? I mean, now you can actually think about it. The Cubs have done very little so far this winter. I, the Braves seems like an amazing fit, but do you think, like, we'll get into Chris Bryant, but just yes or no, do you think they will? Um, I think they're going to do something. Um they have a lot of star players who are free agents after the 2021 season. They have Chris Bryant. I think a lot of people don't realize why Chris Bryant has come up in, in trade talks. So if you look at their roster, you see, and you, you look at sort of their, their payroll situation, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez, and Kyle Schwarber are all currently scheduled to be free agents following the 2021 season. Yes. So you look at that and you're like, okay, well, they're probably not going to resign all of those guys. And, and Jose Quintana after this upcoming season. And Jose Quintana after this upcoming season. And then there's also John Lester, you know, kind of a franchise icon at this point, who is, this, he's in the final year of his contract this year, but it's a mutual option of 20, <clears throat> $25 million for 2021. Would not shock me if he ends up back on the team in 2021, but not on a, not with the Cubs picking up that $25 million mutual option. All that said, if you look at those, the, the, the key players, the Baez, Schwarber, Bryant, and uh, Rizzo. Of those four, you're probably not going to trade Rizzo. He's been there the longest. He's he's like the, he is the, like the heart and soul of the team. Still a high performer. Still a high performer. Um, Schwarber doesn't have a ton of trade value. Baez. And when you look at Baez versus Bryant, Baez seems more likely to sign an extension. Whereas Chris Bryant is a Scott Boris client. It's kind of ex- expected and well known that he would want to test the market as, as Boris comp- uh, clients typically want to do. And as a result, you look at, okay, so the forward and the Cubs thinking, okay, well, we're probably not going to be able to send this guy long-term. How can we best like leverage what we have left of him to help us in the long-term? And that might be trading him now. That might be trading him this July. That might be trading him next offseason. But yeah, I think it does seem at some point in the next count, in the next 365 days, Chris Bryant will be trading. He's interesting because he's one of those guys where some of the metrics like traditional versus new don't agree or, or even some of the other advanced metrics don't agree. Like, we have him as a as a good infielder, right? He was plus two in outs above average, uh, as we talked about. We released an infield outs above average earlier this month. He was minus seven in defensive runs saved. Um, I haven't dug into the differences there, so I, I couldn't tell you why that is. But I think that's at least interesting because some of the conversation is, oh, they don't think he's a good third baseman anymore. Like, by this view, it seems like he's okay. Um, but on the other hand, 
He had 31 homers, he slugged 521, and he had a 25th percentile hard hit rate, which was stunning to me. The 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 hard hit rate trend for Chris Bryant, um, I didn't realize this until I looked into it uh, before the show. It's alarming. Yeah, it's, it's not this two years in a row now. Well, no, it's well where it was that low. I mean, it's going. Yeah. Back, if you go back year by year, he he. <clears throat> Coincidentally, his debut was the first year of StatCast 2015. So conveniently, we have data for his whole career. His rookie year, when he won Rookie of the Year, his hard hit rate was in the 86th percentile. His next year, when he won NL MVP, it was in the 62nd percentile. 2017, it was 56th. 2018, it was 31st. 2019, it was 25th. That is not a good trend. If these trends continue, <laughs> hey, uh, there's more th- more to life than a hard hit. Like, you know, he was still at 31 home runs and slugged 521, but... Uh, yeah, that's that's not what you want. Like, that's kind of scary. It also, I mean, one other thing I also noticed is that his first, like his first year, his rookie year, he hit what was for a long time the longest home run that Statcast had ever recorded. Yeah. It was four. It was at four ninety five. Yeah, four ninety five. And this is obviously this is. I'm I'm not sure. This, to me, this is more just interesting and notable than like like necessarily like a revelation. He hasn't hit a home run of more than four hundred fifty feet since two thousand seventeen. Huh. So that like, is interesting. He's not, I have no idea if that's predictive I, or anything. But, but it just it suggests that maybe like in some way he's not hitting like there's like some level of contact that he's like not reaching that he used to at one point. I mean, it could potentially be health, right? Like we know in 2018 his shoulder was all busted up. Um, and then last year he played through a knee injury for most of the year. Uh, and if you look at his splits, they're really interesting. In the first half, he selected 552, which is great. A twenty percent strikeout rate, which is pretty good. Second half, four seventy eight and twenty eight percent. That's a pretty big difference right there. Um, but you know, if he's healthy, uh, you think he's potentially one of the best players in baseball, like an MVP caliber guy. And then it, it kind of goes back to the question. And then we've talked about this before. You know, the Cubs, uh, the Red Sox, the Astros—they're not exactly like, engendering a lot of great feelings this winter, but they're still pretty good. <laughs> like, like if you look at the FanGraphs uh, twenty twenty wins above replacement projections. The Cubs are atop the NL Central. Now, I know nobody thinks about that in this way, um, and I would argue they're probably a little too low on the Reds, but they have the Cubs right now as uh, 41 wins above replacement. The Brewers at 36. And I have not liked the Brewers offseason at all. Uh, Cardinals at 35, Reds at 33, and Pirates at 29. I kind of look at this as like a four-team tie, essentially, in first, but the Cubs are by no means like not a competitor here. No, they're, they're, they're very much in the mix. The, the, the high end of their roster is really good. And, you know, I, I, it's, but the, the, the trajectory could change if they decide to, to end up trading Brian. I mean, there was one rumor out there that I heard, I think Jesse Rogers of ESPN saying that they discussed a, no, a, a, no, 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 a challenge come trade. on. You couldn't even do that in a video game, <laughs> which is like, like, which would make the, the old, like, uh, uh, Fred McGriff and uh, Tony Fernandez for Roberto Alomar yeah. and Joe Carter look like John's play. <laughs> Could you like, imagine? Like, which would also be funny because Colorado <laughs> has that opt out after 2021. So theoretically, they could do it, and they could both hit the free agent market. Right? It just, the, uh, it'll never. I, it, I don't want to say never, but that will never ever happen. <laughs> but I mean, you look at you look at the um, uh, you look at the Cubs farm system. It's okay. They don't really have any high end guys. So you can see some logic for wanting to act sooner rather than later on Bryant to really maybe bring in like some elite young talent. Right now, the MLB Pipeline just released its top 100 prospects um, last week. There's a complete package. You go check it out on MLB Pipeline. And uh, the highest ranked Cubs prospect is Nico Horner at 51. And even he's like kind of like in terms of like ceiling, he's not really a high ceiling 
guy. Well, I'm going to bump him 10 spots because he follows me on Twitter and that makes him cool. So he gets it. <laughs> All right. Um, he's not um, a super high ceiling guy and you could see why they might want, like if they, if, they, if they were, this would be the time if they were like, you know, we could cause see the thing. If the Cubs traded Bryant, they could still probably compete in that division. Well, like, I mean, it depends what they get back. If it if it's all prospects, then I don't know about that. You know, no, but like they could still probably you know fake it a little bit with you could play Horner at second and David is it Bo- I remember it's Bodie like, Bodie at, at third and like yeah mm-hmm. it'd be a downgrade. But again, right now, I mean, if you were to believe these projections, they're five wins better than anyone else in the division. Yeah. But I'm t- not sure I do believe. I know, yeah. but I'm saying if you took it at face value, you could say they're still already like a step a little bit of cut above the rest, so they could even trade like a future move or for like a prospect who's close to the majors, especially on the pitching side and, um, and still compete for a playoff spot. So I'm not saying that's what they're going to do. I think it's more likely they trade Bryant next off season. Um, but it wouldn't shock me if it happens soon. I, I think you're right because I think you kind of got to give David Ross a shot here. <laughs> you know, exactly. like, like, can he be a good manager? I have no idea, but if you're trading Chris Bryant out from under him, that's a, that's a pretty rough place to start. Um, they have some, Quietly interesting relievers themselves. Uh, Brad Wick had uh, 18 strikeouts and two walks in 10 innings, which is kind of cool. Rowan Wick, uh, no relation because it's not spelled the same, uh, has a seven inches above average on his curveball. Like these are kind of like these reclamation projects. Uh, and our old friend Tyler Chatwood, who we talked up so much two years ago as the next Charlie Morton or whatever, and that did not work <laughs> out. Uh, did you realize from the second half last year, it was kind of awesome? Uh, from July 1st to the end of the year, about a 193, 278, 269 slugging percentage. Like that's that's really good. Um, and man, it better be because he's going to be like a regular starter now. <laughs> um, I, I he seems like the kind of guy like who, could, who if he put together a really good year, it wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me as, as a starter. He's like had that kind of career where he's been up and down, almost like seemingly like from month to month, year to year. So if he kind of put together, I mean, for me. For that team, to me, it's all about Darvish. Like, he looked yes. like an ace in the second that's half. Great. And if, if that's the guy we're going to see in 2020, if we get some version of that Darvish, I think they'll win the division. I think they they have to make some sort of trade because there's not really anything left in free agency. Like, they're not going to sign Puig, I don't think. Um, and even if it's not trading away Bryant, like trading for like Ender and Ciarte or somebody to, like, play a really good defensive center field, it just feels like they have to do something. Um Chris Bryant might get traded. Nolan Arenado might get traded. Francisco Lindor might get traded. Mookie Betts seems like he actually might get traded. I, I kind of I said on Twitter the other day, it's probably not good for baseball if all four of those guys get traded. But I'd be disappointed if none of them did. Like I want to see one really cool trade. And of those four, I feel like I don't know. There's a lot of smoke to the fire around Mookie Betts the last couple. I of days. mean, you know, they call me cynical, but like, people, like there's a lot of hammering about, oh, how ridiculous would it be if the Red Sox trade Mookie Betts? Like if. The Twins could trade Johan Santana at his peak a year from free agency, and the Seattle Mariners can trade Ken Griffey Jr. at his peak a year from free agency. Like, there is precedent for these kinds of trades before. Like, it's not crazy for the Red Sox to be considering this. And I think they're, you know, from a set of, as if I'm a Red Sox fan, from a sentimental, sentimental perspective, it sucks. But, like, there's reasons why it makes baseball sense. Uh, well, I think so too. And like, they're the Red Sox. They have money. They can afford to offer him 10 years and 400 million. Uh, but he's also made it relatively clear that he wants to go try out for agency. So it, maybe they haven't tried hard enough. I don't know, but it does seem like there's a point where it's like, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe he's just going to get there. So he might as well trade him for something. Exactly. And I think that like, you know, the idea that, like, oh, they'd only do it to like cut, reduce their payroll. I don't really buy that because like, 
if you're a team that's only interested in reducing payroll, you're not tendering Jackie Bradley Jr., right. who's like a one more player for, or who's been a one more player like the last couple of years, a contract for like $11 million in arbitration. Like, you're just, you're I, not. I agree. I think the problem is they talk about it so much. <laughs> like, but you're, you're right. Um, so Mookie Betts, I mean, we shouldn't need to tell anybody who listens to the show how great Mookie Betts is. I think it's pretty clear that he's the second best player in baseball behind Mike Trout. Like, I don't, I don't see much of an argument there. You can do that with the traditional numbers. Um, it seemed like he had, I guess, to a lot of people, like a quote-unquote down year last year. But maybe that was only by comparison to how like phenomenal he had been in 2018. Yeah, just, he got to a slow start. Yeah. That was the thing. Like, But like after like – it felt like after like May 15th, yeah. he was like the same player from the year before. Uh, 97th percentile and expected weighted on base. He's still a fantastic defensive outfielder. There's literally not one bad or negative thing I could think to say about uh, Mookie Betts. And, you know, the story has been kind of out there all year. But over the last couple of days – uh, you know, Andy McCullough of The Athletic wrote the other day, uh, and I quote, Dialogue with Boston has approached a resolution on bets. This is from a Dodgers point of view. Uh, John Heyman said the Red Sox are more serious than ever. Uh, AJ Casavell, our Padres beat reporter, uh, said that the Padres and Sox are still actively engaged in trade talks. So I guess the question is this. Uh, it's not so much will they trade bets or won't they? It's will it could it possibly be to anybody except for the Padres or Dodgers? Like those are the only two teams you're hearing right now. Um, it's hard at this point, it's kind of hard to see it, but you know, you, you never say never, but those are the teams that like kind of seemingly have a need. Although you could argue the Dodgers, the Dodgers don't really have a need. Um, they will probably win the NLC. Yeah. I, I had a whole bit here about being like an extreme troll on that point of view. They don't need him to win the division, right? Adding him will not help them win the division. Most likely, uh, every move they make is about October in 99 postseason plate appearances. Mookie Betts is hit 227, 313, 341. So Mookie Betts doesn't help the Dodgers win the world series at all. And extreme troll takes. <laughs> I don't actually believe um, that. So, but, I mean, the, the the Padres, however, like you know, even for, you know, for one year, like he would really move the needle. I mean, he moved the needle for for anyone, but it seems like those are only two teams that are really being talked about here. So we kind of have to assume that like those are the teams and that, like those are the possible suitors. Where does it move the Padres' needle? It doesn't move that needle above the Dodgers, right? Even with Mookie Betts. Not in like I mean, re- realistically, no. I mean, there's a, you know, you never say never injuries, weirdness, what have you, but sure. the Dodgers, I mean, if you look, just to give it a little perspective, or looking at, I'm looking at the uh, Fangraphs war projections yeah. right now, it has the Dodgers third in baseball at, at basically 51 There's wins a above a place. 13 win gap between the two of them. Yes, between them and the, that's not just between, yeah, yeah. Padres are next. Padres at, are 38, uh, Diamondbacks are 35, and then the Rockies and Giants are, you know, well beyond that. Uh, I would argue the Padres should not be above the Diamondbacks. I've liked the Arizona offseason. I don't think we talked about the Starlin Marte trade. Um, but I, I like what Arizona has done. I thought the Starlin Marte, Marte trade was like a, like a nice trade for both sides yeah. because like the prospects they gave up um, are both kind of you know they're low level, but they're really interesting and have upside. And Marte's a good player, not a great player. So, it's, but he's he he's an upgrade for the D backs. Although it'll be interesting to see how he plays center in that. It's a spacious center field there, but he's played spacious and spacious ballpark before in Pittsburgh. He had left field in Pittsburgh for a while. <laughs> And that allows Kendall Marte to go back to second base and kind of be locked in there. Um, that's – I'd probably put them ahead of the Padres, but I also think that, like, I'm expecting a little more from Machado this year. Um, it's just sort of a hunch that year two that, like, we'll see sort of, like, the 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 the, the, the optimal Machado version of Machado. But that's just, it's more – I'm sort of just playing a, a hunch on that. I, I've almost turned in the other direction because if you look at his career – numbers like in Camden Yards and literally anywhere else. And those samples keep growing and growing and growing. It's like a little bit concerning to me. (laughs) 
Uh, and then Fernando Tatis uh, was like the worst infielder in outs above average, uh, which I detailed and Ben Clemens of Fangrass detailed. And it basically just comes down to throwing errors. So if he can fix that, great. If not, they might not have a shortstop. <laughs> like that's that's actually a problem. Um, yes. But so, I mean, I think that this like... Uh... At the same time, the Padres are. I feel like at this, at this point, like Will Leach wrote about this recently. Like, you know, AJ Peller's been there for years now. They haven't really taken a big leap forward. It's kind of like they have to show some results at some point. They've spent a lot. I think that if they were able to figure out a deal where they could actually get bets and get the Red Sox to take back Will Myers, who actually fits the Red Sox roster, like, okay, he at least could play first base there and maybe like platoon a little bit with Mitch Moreland and like maybe you get the best version of Will Myers. Who, makes, yeah. who still makes real money, but still a lot less than like what what uh, bets will make in a uh, in a yearly basis. That like I could see how it might move the ball forward. It makes the Padres roster make a lot more sense. It enhances their upside significantly. They might be able to clear a little money, long term money in the in the in the um, in the interim. They have a lot of young pitching on the way. They could you know they could get like Mackenzie Gore up this year, and like he's the kind of pitcher who could come up and be dominant out of the gate. So. You can sort of see a path to the Padres being a ninety-win team, and if they got bets, they'd be like, "Okay, this is the most fun team in baseball." Yeah. They got bets. They've got Tatis, Machado. Yeah, it's like you know. So there's that'd be cool. Let's let's talk about the uh, Red Sox for a second. So they right now, if you look at the fan graphs, are projected as the fourth best team in baseball, which that's really good. Uh, if you were to drop from Mookie Betts, who's about a six-win player in projections, to a league average right fielder, a, a two-win player, that still makes them top five. Can you trade Mookie Betts and still? position yourself as an actual contender, right? I mean, I guess it depends on who you get back, obviously. Uh, you know, <clears throat> Will Myers is not going to be the guy you say, oh, this is who's going to help us win. But if you get back some ready, uh, some like guys who can help you right now, they're still, they're not as good as the Yankees, but they're still in the wild card mix. I mean, there's a lot of good players in that team. You know, Bogarts is amazing. Devers is amazing. Exactly. And I mean, <clears throat> the thing is, like, if you know that like, not just that Betts wants to test for agency, but like, might just like enjoy going to play someplace else and you're going to lose them in a year. And like right now you have a chance to really like reinvigorate your team in a way that like, this is the, this is the baseball argument. Like, yes, it's like the fans love Mookie Betts. He's a superstar. It stinks. If you're a fan of the team, if he gets traded, like I get it, but like you can also make the argument that the, the team is more likely to be a sustained success, continue to like switch it from being Mookie Betts team to the Bogarts Devers team with some new influx of talent behind them, it's not a it's not a crazy argument. It's maybe not. It's maybe a sort of like a uh, you know a, a emotionless, yeah, a little cynical. <laughs> there. I mean, I don't, I don't I don't think it's cynical. I think it's just it's pragmatic, but it's it's certainly not sentimental. I would argue if I were the Red Sox. So if you if trade them now, uh, you'll get more than if you trade them at the deadline, obviously, right? But if you also think the Dodgers and the Padres are your only two uh, really like interested parties right now, what you could do is say, well, I've got a good team. Uh, we're going to see what happens in the first half. We're, we we have a new manager, or you know, like we need a new manager. Uh, we're going to let this roll, and hey, maybe we're like leading the wild card race. Great, and then if it's not working out, you can still trade with the best of the Dodgers. True, although you look back, I mean, I guess then it, it depends. Like, I guess, I guess if he fell out of it, but you look back at like you know Machado two years ago when he was had a, like a re- absurd first half yeah. for the. Orioles and got traded and like the return was you know everybody was like oh it's six guys so it's like it's like three guys and also three other baseball players so you know you it would be sort of I think now you'd have the chance to get some real impact talent whereas the deadline at that point almost might as well just like hold on to them out of like principle but I don't, I don't know it's it's it seems like it 
could really happen, but you know, we're I guess we're going to find out in the coming days because I'm not sure they want to have him report to camp. Oh, that's a good point. That does seem like an unofficial, like soft deadline for this. Uh, could you have imagined a scenario in, let's say, September, where he said the manager of the Houston Astros in 2020 will be Dusty Baker? Now, which part of that would have shocked you more? Would it be, wait, what happened to AJ Hinge, or be really Dusty Baker? Um, it's it's wild, man. I'm 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 glad to see Dusty back in the game. Me too. I think that like he's. Um, his record speaks for itself, good and bad. Um, he's won wherever he's gone. He's taken four teams to the postseason, which is tied for the most ever. If he if he takes the Astros to the postseason, which is a real possibility, he will have the record for the most teams managed to the postseason. He's had some real struggles in the postseason. Um, but to me, that always feels like a little bit like one of these weird narrative things where you go back and you look at the 2002 World Series where game six, the Giants are winning. He takes Russ Ortiz out. He gives him the ball. And, like, it looks like the Giants are going to win the World Series. And, like, the bullpen blows it which, like, isn't really Dusty's fault. They could have just as easily, like, they probably, you know, should have won that, and they win that, and the entire narrative about Dusty, about Dusty Baker postseason choker is completely gone. The, there's that, and then there's also the next year with the Cubs, and I know everybody remembers Steve Bartman. If Alex Gonzalez doesn't botch that ball, that changes things. And I, I looked this up because I'd forgotten about this. Do you remember the last game he managed in the major leagues? You it, will You will when I tell you. Um, it was against the Nats and the. Well, it was with the Nats. Well, sorry, it was against the Cubs in the division series. Right, and do you, do you remember like the goat of that game? No, it was the Matt Weeders game, right? So game five of the 2017 NLDS against the Cubs, Nationals lose nine eight. Uh, so he actually pulls Gio Gonzalez after like three not so great innings. That kind of goes against like the old school narrative of like I'm going to ride my starter. Like good for him, right? Fourth inning, uh, Matt Albers throws a scoreless fourth. Fifth inning, he brings in Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer is like the best pitcher on earth at this point. Max Scherzer gives up three hits and four runs in a single inning. Um, this is the Matt Weeders game. He botched called strike three on what, or a swing strike three on what would have been like the third out, uh, then throws the ball away, and then the very next batter catches interference. <laughs> it was like the worst wow. inning of his life. Yeah, wow, that was uh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Anyway, that's not on Dusty Baker. He did. The, he brought in Max Scherzer. I, I think even at the time we were all like, "Wait, they're going to fire him after this? They've been they've been really good." Um, but anyway, now he's going to manage the Astros and. I think if you were to talk to like most, you know, advanced stats people, uh, the opinion of Dusty has really changed over the years. Like he was considered a dinosaur like 15 years ago. And now I think it's like, oh, well, maybe there's a little bit more to this. Uh, however, the Astros, one of the things we talked about a lot over the last two years is that A.J. Hinch all but refused to issue an intentional walk. And, and frankly, uh, I assume that was not just A.J. Hinch. I assume that was like a, a strategy from like a forward thinking front well, office basically saying like, hey, we're not going to issue any intentional walks. And A.J. was sort of like, saw that the data and was like, okay, I get that. Like, we're not going to do sure. And I, I think that gets to a larger point. Uh, not all of like being an analytical team is about the manager. It's not like Dusty Baker is going to come in and say, uh, you guys aren't allowed to use Repsodos anymore. No more Edratronics. Like all of that stuff is still going to happen. Uh, but the, the Astros over the last two years issued four intentional walks. The Nationals in Dusty Baker's final two years issued 82 <laughs> intentional walks. I understand the National League. Obviously it's different than the American League. Certainly. Um, but Dusty Baker is going to get to four intentional walks by like April 10th. You know, it just, it's going to be such a weird thing to like see this well-respected like manager. Who's not necessarily the most analytical guy in the world on that team. I like the hire. I do. It's just, it's going to be, it's going to be weird. Um, yes. And the Astros, <laughs> I mean, they, sh they're still a extremely talented team, even without Garrett Cole, even without AJ Hintz, even without Jeff Luno. Um, 
they should so like similar to what we were saying about the Dodgers, who should probably run away with the 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 NOS, like the Astros sh- should probably run away with the ALS. I mean, I have some concerns about their rotation, but the lineup is still quite good. I agree with you totally uh, about the rotation. I'm also very excited for baseball Twitter to be like, yeah, Dusty, get that ring. Oh, we don't want to root for the Astros. It's going to be fun. Um, yeah, I agree with you about the rotation. They lost Garrett Cole. Uh, previously, they'd lost Keiko and Morton. And so the rotation right now is Justin Verlander, who was fantastic last year, but he's going to be 37 next month. Uh, Zach Granke, who was pretty good, but he's going to be 37 this fall. And then Lance McCullers, who coming back from Tommy John. Jose Arquiti, who had 41 major league innings and then had that really great start in the World Series, but inexperienced. And then like Brad Peacock, Forrest Whitley, uh, Fromber Valdez. That's not a lot of depth. You're gonna hear you're gonna hear a lot about Forrest Whitley. He ranked him on the MLB pipeline top 100. I just mentioned he ranked number 19 uh, uh, this year, which is good. Although I think it was it was down from last year. He was in the top 10 last year. He had a really weird year. Yeah. Um, he he uh, he only pitched uh, 59 and a third two thirds innings across four levels, 86 strikeouts and 44 walks. Um, that's, that's he started bad. the year in AAA. He got hurt. He rehabbed in the GCL Gold Coast League rookie level. He had ten strikeouts and nine walks in four and two thirds innings. He ended the year in triple in Double A. So he started in Triple A. Ended the year in Double A. I know there were some injuries in there, but like the walks at every level, there was a, he'd have a, a start here or there where he looked like his old self. But like the walks would be there. Even like his his second last start of the year, he had five walks. So it's like the stuff is you know. Bio reports, and I'll admit I, I've, I've seen highlights of him, but I've never like you know really dug in. Bio reports, it's you know he's got like a five pitch mix. It's like a, he's just nasty. But if he can't come in, it, like it's hard to look at look at what he's done this past year and be like, oh, I feel good that this guy's going to be like someone we can count expect to be a solution at some point during the course of this season. And we we could have said you know they really should have gone in and gotten more pitching depth this winter, except. They don't have a general manager right now, which which makes it difficult. But you're right. Uh, we go back to that uh, Fangraphs 2020 projected war leaderboards. Number one in baseball uh, projected 55 wins above replacement. The A's and Astros, excuse me, the A's and Angels are tied at 43. So that's a pretty big gap right there. Uh, last year, they won the division by 10 games. They are projected to be up by 12 wins. And like, again, they are not going to be a very popular team, but they're still so good. I mean, there was actually an article in, in Baseball Perspectives today from Rob Arthur that said for all the work that went into the whole banging scheme, uh, it may actually have had no effect whatsoever. That doesn't absolve them. Cheating is wrong. They deserve all the punishments. But that really, like, I more and more, I think it's not like you can say Bregman and Altuve and Springer are just going to stink this year. Like, they're still going to be great. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's a very good team. Um, obviously, the subplot of the Astros all season is going to be fascinating. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I'm guessing the uh, their regular season games will be having a little bit more of an edge this year than uh, regular season games in your past, which is which is great. It's going to be, uh, uh, I think, make for an, ex- an exciting season. We should look up what the record is for most times being hit by a pitch, like a team <laughs> record. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be really. There's a part of me I forget if I said this last week or not, but I don't mind baseball having a bad guy. That's kind of fun, like from a from a drama point of view. Uh, until we get like six beanball wars in the first 12 games. And then that's going to be well, hopefully Dusty Baker, you know, because everybody loves Dusty Baker, right? I, I think he's a good choice for that job. And when he ends up taking this team to the playoffs, we're going to have some takes, man. It's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be something. Uh, that is our show for this week. That is the MLB.com. Thank you.